We live in a culture obsessed with the idea of living our best life. Did you know there are even companies designed to help you make other people think you're living your best life when you actually can't afford to live your best life? This is actually a real thing. There are companies that will fake a vacation for you. All you do is you send them $49.95 and some family pictures. And so for this $49.95, they will fake a vacation. So the world will know you're living your best life even when you're not. So I'm, I'm not going to have to spend all this money to go on safari in Africa, right? Because I don't have to do that. This company can make it look like it happened. I'm living my best life. I'm not going to have to spend a fortune to go to Egypt to see the pyramids. Like, what is wrong with our culture that that's actually a thing, right? Obsession with living our best life or appearing to live our best life. In this series, Counterfeit, we've been talking about how anything that you chase more than you pursue Jesus is idolatry. And today we're going to talk about the counterfeit goal of comfort, chasing comfort, the endless pursuit of comfort, which actually sounds, doesn't it, to be more of an okay, more of an acceptable goal than some of the other goals we've considered. I mean, chasing fame and chasing money and riches, of, of course they shouldn't be our goal, but comfort, we all deserve to be comfortable, right? That doesn't seem unrealistic. God would want us, his children, to be comfortable. Well, our key scripture today is in the letter of 1 John. And John is, was one of the inner circle of Jesus, one of those closest disciples to Jesus. He was the beloved disciple. And he, there was really nothing that happened in the context of that three and a half years of Jesus' ministry that John wasn't an eyewitness to. From the transfiguration to even being at the foot of the cross with Jesus' mother, he saw it all. But now in this time, there was some dangerous theology happening within the early church. And John had to deal with it head on. And he says this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. He says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Ouch. Now, 17 times, just in this little tiny letter of 1 John, he uses the phrase, the world, 17 times. Now, literally, it means the world, the globe, the world. But contextually, what is he talking about? I mean, why shouldn't we love the world? John 3.16 says that God so loved the world. He loved the world so much that he gave his son to die for the world. I think the best contextual definition for what he means by don't love the world is this. Scholars much cleverer than me say it's more that we shouldn't love the cultural systems of this world or the spirit of this world. So what would that look like? Well, maybe it's just an attitude like I just want to have enough to do whatever I want, whenever I want, with whomever I want to do, and with no pesky distractions from things like pain or challenge. But what am I basically saying then? I think what we're saying, if that's our attitude, is I want to build a life where, God, you aren't necessary. And so John says, don't love that. Because if you do, it's evident the love of the Father is not in you. That's what John says. So here's the thing. We have to be honest that no matter, no matter where we are in our journey of life, Every one of us has desired, don't we, to live a life more defined by ease than by struggle. None of us is dreaming like, oh, in five years' time, I can't wait for the pain that's coming my way. None of us do that. We're all looking forward to being comfortable. But what I want us to consider today what is what does it look like and what are the dangers in chasing a counterfeit comfort? Think for a moment about counterfeit. What, what does that mean? Well, a counterfeit is a close representation of something that has value, but actually the counterfeit has no value, an imitation of something else, and it intends to deceive. 
So for those of us that find ourselves, possibly like me at times, chasing comfort, we need to understand two realities about chasing counterfeit comfort. John tells us, number one, that counterfeit comfort, it reveals spiritual emptiness. It reveals spiritual emptiness. Now that's a problem. Chasing and pursuing and living for this desired life of comfort reveals what John says in that verse that we looked at, verse 15, 1 John 2. Don't love the world or anything in it. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. That's spiritual emptiness. When we read this passage of Scripture, we can quickly jump to guilt. Like, I love my house. And so because I love my house, does that mean I don't love God? Or I can't wait to go on that holiday, that adventure. It's going to be amazing. I love travel. And because of that, because of what John says, maybe I don't love God. Well, remember, what is the world? It's not the stuff or the activities. It's the cultural systems of the world, the spirit of the world, the entire system of rebellion against God. Commentator F.F. Bruce says this. He says, worldliness does not lie in things we do or in places we frequent. It lies in the human heart in the set of human affections and attitudes. Now that is so important. If, if we don't get this, we don't get the intent of what this scripture is all about. John is not saying that God made a bad world or that the world that God made is bad. It's a good world and God loves it. He's saying that the way we relate to what God has made can be bad. To John, worldliness is thinking that the world is ultimately what matters. It's placing it above the Father. What makes the, the world bad is not the stuff in it, which came from God. It's how we treat that stuff. We cannot love the world as in view it as the ultimate and love God as in view him as the ultimate at the same time. One always comes first in our heart. And John said, it should be God. If God isn't first, if he isn't the one who compels us, then we are spiritually empty. We're pursuing a counterfeit goal. So chasing a counterfeit comfort reveals this spiritual emptiness. Paul, Paul wrote it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. If you're chasing something out here, it means you lack something in here. For the love of Christ from the inside out compels us. And I love that bit that says that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised again. We don't live for ease, for comfort, for us. We live for God. So when we chase a counterfeit comfort, it reveals a spiritual emptiness that something's missing. But secondly, it also reveals, or chasing comfort reveals, or it eliminates, sorry, our need for faith. Chasing comfort eliminates our need for faith. And that's a problem. Chasing this empty pursuit of comfort, it reveals that we don't need faith. It's interesting, isn't it? In Hebrews chapter 11, the author of Hebrews kind of does this storyboard of the key stories in the Old Testament, a quick flash through, a really quick, every single story or not every single one, but each one he just starts with this little phrase, by faith. He says, by faith, Moses, with a speech impediment, stared down the most powerful human being on the planet, Pharaoh, to deliver God's people. By faith, Abraham left the home of his ancestors to go to a place where God wouldn't even reveal where I'm wanting you to go. It would ultimately be, of course, the promised land. By faith, Noah built a boat and had to convince everybody that it was going to flood. By faith, by faith, by faith. Every one of these stories were not about people living in comfort. Every single one of them, they, they were living for a burden 
that if God didn't show up in that moment, they would have been helpless and looked like idiots. So that's a challenge for us, isn't it? What, what part of your life today are you helpless in without God's intervention? If you're anything like me, maybe your dreams are a bit small and, and our listening ear to the burden of God in our lives may not be quite tuned in as it could be. I mean, having to stand here each week in front of a camera is definitely not chasing comfort for me. This is the opposite of comfort for me. I know that God has to take over in this moment or I'd be hopeless. But how many other things do I do that really and truly depend on God? The Bible and, and examples of Christians who have gone before us show us that God's love in us will create more disruption than ease. We need to know that. That's what the love of the Father does, right? When, when the love of the Father is inside of us, when we allow that love to compel our life, we can't pursue something as shallow as comfort. So let's allow God to challenge us on this today. We cannot pursue comfort and walk by faith at the same time. You can do one or the other, but you cannot do both. So if this is a counterfeit goal for you, like me, if you're listening to this message this morning and you're thinking, oh, I think I might be a little bit on the wrong, tra wrong track, then you're in good company. I think we can all have that tendency at time to drift into desiring comfort. So if we don't chase after counterfeit comfort, what is the authentic thing that we should be chasing? Well, when I was not quite 15 years old, I got my first job. I was a cashier at Coles Fossies in um, Roselands in Sydney. Now, that's ageing me. Coles Fossies was a bit like a best and less. I worked on Thursday nights and Saturday mornings. At that stage, the shops weren't even open on Saturday afternoons. But I was actually pretty good at my job. I was fast and I was good at using, you know, the credit card machine that you would use where you put the card in and you had the paper. I actually really liked that job. And in learning how to do my job as a 15-year-old, we had training on how to spot counterfeit notes. And when that training was coming up, I was like, cool, this is going to be great. I can't wait to see what a fake $100 bill looks, dollar bill looks like or a fake $50 bill. Well, guess what? To this day, I've yet to see one, apart from, of course, in the movies. Because if you actually want to learn how to spot a counterfeit, you don't study the counterfeit, right? You study the real thing. You learn to identify how it feels, how it smells. You, you, you touch it and you feel the texture. You know the symbols that you're looking for, although the notes are now all a bit different to then. But you get the point. To know what a counterfeit looks like, we fixate on the authentic. I would have been able to spot a counterfeit note, I'm sure, because I knew so well what the real thing was like. And so for the rest of our time today, I just want us to fixate not on the counterfeit, not on the shallow, but what does God's word say about comfort? What does the authentic comfort look like? Well, Paul in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 5, he presents a biblical perspective of comfort. He says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. He's saying God is the full embodiment of what you've been pursuing. Just him. He's the full embodiment of comfort. Why? Because, Paul goes on, because he comforts us in our troubles, which is nice, but it's also not just for us. He goes on and says, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ. Now, I'm going to pause there. If you're a follower of Jesus, what I just read is part of your life story. Part of your life, part of your life in following Jesus is to share in his sufferings. For just as we share in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. This is the real thing. 
This is the authentic life following Jesus. When, when our paradigm for living flows, not out of what we see in the system of our culture, but what we see presented in God's Word, we then realise that there's some things that we actually have to start embracing and some things that we have to stop chasing. So if we stop chasing a counterfeit culture, I think there are two things we need to embrace. Two things this morning that I just want us to consider briefly. The first is this. We need to embrace divine discomfort. To welcome pain, we need to be able to be somewhat open-armed with suffering. It pains me a little bit to say that. I don't like pain. I don't like to be uncomfortable. But discomfort produces something in us, doesn't it? My lungs hurt when I run, but it produces fitness over time. My legs and my butt hurt when I squat, but they're not comfortable, but they produce results and they'd probably produce more results if I stopped eating my feelings, to be honest. But many of you have seen, haven't we, over the last couple of weeks, the discomfort of the Olympians, their gruelling training schedules, the way they work through pain, and we see the results they've produced. Discomfort produces something in us. And I love the way James puts this in James chapter 1. Now, some of you are very familiar with this verse. We've preached a whole series on James before. But he writes, Consider it all joy, my brethren or my friends, when you encounter various trials, various strugglings, various sufferings, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect, complete, not lacking anything. Now, most of us don't enjoy taking tests, right? The testing of my faith seems hard. Perhaps you'd say, I'm sure my faith is going to fail. Or maybe I could get a 72 some days on the testing of my faith, but there's no way I'd get a distinction. But this word test has really nothing to do with that definition. The word test or testing in Greek is the word dikimion. And it's the same word used to describe what a silversmith would do with raw silver. He would take the ore and he'd put it into a big bucket, a big pot thing. And then he'd build a really, really hot fire beneath that pot. And then slowly the silver would start to melt. And the impurities as it's been tested, as it's testing, would come to the surface. And the silversmith would take an instrument and he'd, he'd scrape off the dross of the silver. He'd scrape off all the impurities and he'd let it cool. And then he'd do the same thing again and again and again. He'd get to the point, that silversmith, where he could see his own reflection in that silver. What if the sufferings that you've gone through, what if the pain that you've endured, the discomfort you've known is being used by God to reveal that, that which doesn't bear the image of Jesus in your life, the sin, the struggle. It's the testing of your faith that produces endurance. And that's what we're each called to. What if, what if the pain that you're facing right now is going to produce something more valuable than anything in your life? When I look at my life, 45 years I've done so far, and I've done some pretty cool things. But the most valuable thing in my life is the presence of God in the context of my pain, amidst my hurt. It's produced things in me that only struggle and God can create. And it's part of my road in following Jesus. Paul continues on in Romans 5. It's about to get a bit crazier. He says, but not only this, we also glory in our sufferings. It's getting a little bit carried away, some of us might think. It's, it's like we're celebrating or praising God in the middle of our pain because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance creates character. Character gives birth to hope and hope does not put to shame. What does happen then? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts. That's the end goal, God's love 
in our hearts? Do you remember where we started a few moments ago? Why do we tend to pursue this counterfeit empty comfort? Well, it's because there's a degree to which the love of the Father isn't in us, John says. It's not been allowed to penetrate, at least, into our hearts. But when this does happen, we can look at pain and give God praise because we know it's going to produce what it's going to produce in our lives. Embrace divine discomfort. It's going to do something special. It will produce hope and hope trumps comfort every time. Lastly, this morning, I want to think about the fact that we need to embrace in this culture obsessed with living your best life, we need to embrace that this is not our best life. We need to embrace that this is not my best life. Paul, in the book of Romans, chapter 8, 18 to 19, he writes this. He says, For what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us when? Later. This is not your best life. God has one for you, but it's not here and it's not now. What we suffer, what we struggle through, it's not even worth comparing, Paul says, not even worth speaking of in the same sentence with the glory that he'll reveal later. For all creation, he goes on, is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children are. You are wired with a longing for eternity. Scripture says it. God has set eternity in your heart. When we try to fulfill an eternal longing with a temporary comfort, it leads to an empty life. Well, we can't put heaven standards on earthly existence. It will always fall short. This isn't our best life. So what do we do? Jesus said it in Matthew 16. He says, don't live with such an agenda of what you want this life to be. Instead, what if our posture to God was, let this life be whatever you want it to be, God. Let me experience whatever you want me to experience. Let me suffer with grace and dignity. Because Matthew 16 says, if you hold on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you live open-handed, whatever you want to do, God, you'll save it. A number of years ago now, I met a lady who came to the church we were at and she'd recently fled an abusive relationship. And over a period of 12 months, she found emotional and mental healing. And most importantly, she encountered Jesus and began living life to the full as he promised. Well, fast forward 12 more months, she was diagnosed with an aggressive cancer. She underwent intense treatment for the next six months and her newfound church family prayed. Oh, we prayed. At one stage, we had people 24-7 praying for her. She had such a big faith and she believed with everything that she had that God would heal her. She would tell her non-Christian families and friends that she was okay that she was suffering because God would heal her. She would share her story and, and that would inspire others to meet Jesus. Two weeks before she died, when her doctors decided that enough was enough with the treatment, I sat beside her bedside, a little bit speechless, and just said, I'm sorry that you've not yet been healed. I, I don't understand, but I know God loves you. And she said to me, over the last two years, I've experienced healing emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And yes, I'd hoped to have experienced physical healing of my cancer, but I wouldn't trade my journey. I wouldn't trade, sorry, I wouldn't trade the amazing joy I've experienced in that intimate relationship with Jesus I've felt over these last six months, being loved so completely by my church and by my Jesus. And I know the best is yet to come. What a testimony. When our life here on earth is complete, our best life has not ended. Paul writes, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has ever imagined, ever, what God has prepared for those who love him. Let's call out a pursuit of comfort for what it is. 
It's a shallow counterfeit idol. It's like eating sugar. It tastes good for a moment, but you're hungry five minutes later. It's empty. It's not going to produce in your life what you hope it does. So I encourage you today to join me in embracing discomfort, embracing the love of the Father today. Allow that to fill you completely and to bring you strength, whatever your current and future holds. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you that you are the God of all comfort. You are the God of compassion and we are so grateful for your patience with us. We often don't get it and we have to be, have lessons repeated over and over again. And so I would pray in this moment today, God, that we would hear your voice and would, we would just have the courage and enough to be honest with ourselves and with, you, and with you. God, we repent for chasing after things that seem like they matter, for chasing after comfort, which ultimately has no value. God, let our lives be whatever you want them to be. Use us to let your love impact others, we pray. Amen.